0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Susan Up, a podcast produced by Sunbury Press's Bookspeak Network, and you are on episode six. I am your host, Susan Kiskis. In the show we bring two worlds together, wellness and spirituality. From yoga to Buddhism, healthy eating to turning dreams into reality, listeners will find themselves on a journey into their own virtual spiritual pilgrimage. If you want to continue the conversation after the show, visit my Facebook page, Yogic Living with Susan, or sign up for my weekly newsletter at SusanKissKiss.com. My guests today are Jerry Dorsman and Bob Davis, co-authors of How to Achieve Peace of Mind, A Practical Guide. Before retiring in 2017, Jerry worked at a mental health clinic for 28 years, counseling clients with mental health and addiction disorders. His first book, How to Quit Drinking Without AA, became a recovery bestseller. Jerry is also the author of How to Quit Drugs for Good and a contributing author of Live Longer While Feeling Younger, A Guide to Health and Happiness as We Age. Bob has taught yoga in North Delaware since 1971. He has also worked as a stress management therapist. Bob has been nominated for two Pushcart Prizes and received three Delaware Division of the Arts grants for his writing. Jerry and Bob, welcome to ZenUp. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you, Susan. Good Thank you be for being show. here today. You both worked together on how to quit drinking without AA. And I'm wondering, how did you both come together for that project? And how did that lead to your book, How to Achieve Peace of Mind, a Practical Guide?
0: Well, um, we actually were working together at a mental health clinic in Maryland, and um, working with ways to help uh, our clients actually uh, improve their lives and to reduce stress and um, um, make better decisions and so forth. Um, And um, then we started talking about – I had already published one book, and we started talking about doing one together that that would deal with uh, managing stress in our lives and reducing stress. And generally feeling better, or as we came up with the title, How to Achieve Peace of Mind for this book, um, that's that's uh, the way we started. We got together and started looking at it that way. Um, Bob, what do you have to offer on that, too? Do you have any um, anything to add?
2: Yes. <clears throat> Jerry and I have known each other since high school, so we go way back. Oh, and, wow. Um, yes. Right. And uh, Jerry wrote his first book, uh, How to Quit Drinking Without AA, um, and got me involved because I I had developed my writing skills. I had done a lot of writing at that point. And then we happened, as Jerry said, to be working at the same mental health clinic. And after his first book was published, How to Quit Drinking Without AA, we decided that we like to work together a lot as far as the writing projects are concerned. And um, that's how we planned our second book, uh, How to Achieve Peace of Mind.
1: Very good. So you were able to both take um, your experience over the years as therapists. And then I guess did that develop organically then through your practice?
0: Well, it was somewhat that, but also just in our personal lives, each of us was using so many techniques to help improve our own peace of mind that uh, we had uh, already, uh, you know, wealth of information about various uh, options um, for doing so, and so that's what uh, that that really helped us develop the book. We we actually went through and picked out. Dozens and dozens of techniques that uh, one or the other of us or both of us had tried, and um, and proven there that it had a, a, some good success with us. So um, that's how we developed. We we were working together, right, you know, just in the outline phase. We were saying, well, this technique would be a good one to put in, and uh, and that was part of how we developed it.
2: And I think we came a long way with our planning uh, by deciding to divide um, the book up into four aspects, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual peace. And so um, we looked at it as a a whole person approach by um, involving those four aspects and addressing those four aspects, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Um, So the book represents an integrated approach to peace of mind. And the other thing about the book um, that we initially talked about, we wanted it to read sort of like a cookbook. So readers could just, they didn't have to read it from cover to cover. They could jump around and choose whatever um, technique for them. So we looked at that as like diverse recipes for different people with different tastes.
1: I love that you actually use that analogy because as I think about this in your, you know, your book, you have 140 ways to help people, you know, find peace of mind. And immediately my brain went to Julia Child writing her, you know, French Mastering Cookbook, which is such a magnum opus. You know, I'm thinking as you both are using all of these resources that you have in your personal and professional lives and then you narrow it down to 140 ways, like 140 recipes and then, um, and, and then, you know, of course, you're able to then restructure that into these four different um, aspects of doing so. So I love, Bob, how you're actually saying that it was a very uh, conscientious choice to not only create these four subdivisions, but that you, you created it as a more digestible way that if someone didn't want to sit down to read from cover to cover, they would be able to almost open up to a recipe for how to achieve peace of mind in that moment.
2: Yes.
0: And some of the techniques may, a, I was just going to say, uh, Susan, that some of the techniques, that, you know, may take, you can try them in just a couple of minutes, and others take, uh, you know, a little bit of time to work into and learn. Uh, so there are lots of different time frames to each technique, and um, that's why you can come up with something like 140, because some of them are like attitude changes that are longer term. And some are uh, you know simple tricks that you can use with the mind to try and change how you feel in the moment
1: even though you allow um, through the the way that the book is laid out for people to be able to um, selectively choose, you do have like you know and, and I think um, just based on the way you're also talking about the book is that you really are encouraging people though to do this very integrated way uh, like uh, integrating this full change into their life that in order to have peace of mind, there is the physical aspect and the emotional aspect and the mental aspect and the spiritual aspect that all four kind of create the perfect um, or the most successful way to, to kind of achieve balance and peace. Does that, is that the correct assessment?
2: Yes. It's, it, as I mentioned before, we looked at it as a whole person approach because it encompasses the approach encompasses those four aspects um, so that's what we had in mind, and we also had in mind um, that this particular book is based on the idea that uh, our own inner peace, as individuals, creates outer peace. In other words, mm-hmm. the world can never be peaceful unless the people in the world find peace within themselves.
1: And then moving into like then um, the physical aspect. So, your um, your when we talk about the physical piece to start the foundation, which Bob, you can probably relate to this too, right? It's um, you have to have the foundation laid in yoga, in or before yeah. you start moving up, right? And um, yes. and so it's wonderful how you actually then you go through the physical aspect in terms of food and breath, and um, and then even like movement and acupuncture. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the things that you go through in the book and just overall when you're working with um, with your patients on how to create the physical aspect, the, the foundation? Uh,
2: yes. Um, <clears throat> while I was working with Jerry at the mental health clinic, uh, that's when I worked as a stress management um, therapist. Originally, I directed a housing program for the mentally ill. And we had a very open-minded director of the clinic. And uh, he knew that I was a yoga teacher, a certified yoga teacher. So he offered me the position of a stress, to be a stress management therapist, working with uh, the highly functional adult chronic population that we had, and also with uh, staff members who wanted to take a yoga class once a week. And that was included in their work because it was looked upon as a healthy thing to do and would probably improve their work um, habits. So um, that's how I started working with particularly patients who had mental health problems. And then my other class that I had was with uh, sexually abused teenage girls. And um, in this particular area of Maryland, which is largely rural, there was a high uh, incidence of incest. And so uh-huh. uh, I had like 10 teenage girls in my class, and they ranged in age from 10 to 17, and they were all living in foster homes, and they all had all been sexually abused. And, of course, I'm a man, so I started the class out with another female therapist who um, worked in the Child and Adolescent Program. And once the clients gained trust of me, she either came to the class, she liked to do yoga, or if she had something else going on, she didn't come to the class. But at that time, I had gained the trust of these girls. And that particular group, to answer your question in
0: a specific way,
2: was probably the most rewarding group because um, the girls had all been traumatized and they realized that doing yoga helped with their traumas, helped them relax. And also um, they were teenage girls, so they were into appearing good, looking good. And so they realized that the, the yoga was very healthy and toned up their bodies and um, calmed their minds. So that's a little of how I brought my yoga training into the mental health field.
1: So I may just jump in for a moment. I think that, you know, one and I don't know whether you've had this experience or not in, in that atmosphere or another one. But again, I, I coming back to any physical activity or form where you have um, a quiet space and you're able to move. So whether that's free dance or yoga, um, for Tai Chi or Qigong, to have that space that, you know, that we store, that the thought is that we store trauma in our bodies and when we start to move, we, we begin to also release them, which is why another reason I love the fact that you, you did, both of you started this book on the physical, you know, the physical piece. And I'm curious, Bob, whether you um, had experienced that with seeing people then release trauma as they're going through um, the physical practice of yoga asana.
2: Did I witness that? You're saying, did I see that?
1: Yeah, I see that. I know that in classes I've been to, I'll see people who are doing their asana practice, and they just start to just really cathartically cry because they're releasing some type of trauma that they've had.
2: Yes, I saw that uh, with the um, the group that I have of, of, of sexually abused teenage girls. I saw that release of trauma. I must admit, I didn't see that as much with the adult um, chronic patients, most of whom were on <clears throat> uh, medications, some very strong medications. I didn't see that as much with them. Um, but the teenage girls, the majority of them weren't on any kind of medication, and I did see very positive changes as they did the yoga. So uh, and then
1: jump I- 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 in here
0: a minute, yeah. too. Um The uh, sometimes releasing tension in the body um, can take different forms as well. We talk about um, acupuncture techniques. We talk about uh, massage. um,
2: Feldenkrais. uh,
0: Feldenkrais. I mean all the different types of uh, movement therapies that uh, have been proven um, successful. We at least uh, give an introduction to how they work and then people who are interested can go take a class um, or, you know, if it's a massage, they can uh, uh, schedule one. Um, the uh, And the other thing about the body is we talk about the aerobic exercise, getting that active, uh, really highly active, you know, for 30 minutes um, at least, um, uh, either dancing or um working out or even just a vigorous walk, we talk about making sure to choose some kind of aerobic uh, exercise as well, uh, if that suits your nature.
1: Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, because, of course, you know, studies have shown how uh, moving the body, whether it's walking or running or going to the gym, really, um, I guess, releases chemicals in our body that helps us, um, especially for people that are, you know, uh, have issues with, um, whether it's depression or anxiety, really helps them process and releases these chemicals into the body that helps us, right, Find, be happy, really even does. if it's temporary?
0: Yeah. yeah. so it helps reduce depression and improve uh, peacefulness um, because, well, it's we're pretty well documented by now about the endorphins. That, you know, the exercise will help um, the endorphin level uh, in, the, uh, in our neurochemistry, so that's a good thing.
1: And then you go from, okay, we need to move the body to now resting the body, right? So you're talking about your body's at rest, letting go, having a peaceful environment, the music of the breath. So can you talk a little bit about then like that thought process when you're writing the book, um, guiding people from, okay, let's move and now let's relax.
0: You want to talk about the breath, Bob? Uh, yes. <clears throat> um
2: As far as uh, the working with the populations that we work with in the mental health clinic, um, just relaxing and doing some deep rhythmic reading, some pranayama, um, was very helpful with the adult chronic population. And many of those people, I found that when I tried to teach them the different yoga postures, that they weren't so much interested in that. And as I said, they were um, somewhat sedated. They were on a lot of heavy medications. And so they were more inclined to lie down and focus on their breath. And so I taught them deep rhythmic breathing, and they found that that was calming.
0: Just paying attention to the breath um, is calming. Yeah. Uh, learning uh, deep rhythmic breathing can calm anyone, and uh uh, and Bob describes it beautifully in the book how how to do that. It actually just gives the technique right in the book that you can learn, and uh, it's a, it's a good subchapter.
2: And part of my background, aside from yoga, is uh, meditation, specifically Buddhist meditation, and the simple, uh, time-honored meditation of sitting still, or lying still, or even standing still, and uh, not breathing deeply and rhythmically, but simply observing the breath, feeling the sensations of the breath, and whenever the mind strays to identify that as that process is thinking and then returning to the breath, which is uh, a moment to moment activity, so mm-hmm. the, the meditation on the breath focuses, focuses you on the moment, which is really the only time that we can live.
1: And I like it how, again, you, um, you use the word in, in the next chapter but consciously moving the body. Then you're consciously breathing, consciously meditating, right. consciously being in the moment. And then you move into consciously eating. And, and I wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, what you mean by that. Because in Chapter 3, that's one of the things you discuss is eating consciously.
0: Well, I'll pick up on that. Um, in America, we not only eat fast food, but we eat food fast. <laughs> uh, and one thing that can really help is in our lives is to um, pay attention to the food we're eating, um, which is that there's a couple of different parts to this, but one of them is to just uh, be in the moment with the food we're eating um, and uh, take your time with it, um, And so we've worked with uh, some of the chapters there and also to have thankfulness for your food. Um, And then I'm going to go a little farther, but I'm going to talk about choosing the right kind of foods to promote health and um, peacefulness. Um, I divided it up into uh, a few different categories, and um, one of them is... um, the uh, the foods that cause agitation, we want to avoid those. Um, and uh, so that's actually, uh, we're talking about sugars, we're talking about alcohol and drugs, nicotine and caffeine, all cause some agitation. So we want to limit them uh, or avoid them. Um, then we have a, a second category, foods that weigh us down, and we're talking about the heavier uh Uh, foods in the protein category like meats and eggs and dairy foods but also in this category would be refined grains instead of the whole grains Um, the oils and then also to avoid things like chemical additives and preservatives and I'm getting very detailed here but I describe all these in the book Um, finally okay so we wind up with what? We wind up with um, the diet that includes whole grains, beans, vegetables seeds nuts, fruits, the diet that over and over all of the – everybody that studies diet comes up with and says, this is the healthiest diet you can be eating. So it's not only like eating consciously, but it's making good choices. It's having thankfulness for the food that we're eating um, and, uh, and just making good selections that way. So, um, and there's a few options on how to change your diet that I offer in the book. That might be more detailed I, than you were asking, but I've just tried
1: to. No, that's get into wonderful. It. <laughs>
0: good. Good.
1: I love it because, you know, the one thing I think most people are unaware of um, is how the gut plays such a huge role in our energy level, um, in our emotional, um, you know, whether anxiety or stress, um, in our, um, you know, in our sexual desires, in our sleep. Um, and, you know, and when we are putting empty calories in by eating foods that are really high in fat and have a lot of additives, and we're not putting a lot of more nutritional foods in, but, you know, that are high in vitamin A and and K and and C, is that you know our our stomach feels like it's full, but we're not actually getting the solid nutrients that we need to to pass you know into the the bloodstream. And um, it's such a huge cycle. And I think that people have such an emotional attachment to food. That they, um, and then the lack of, I think, uh, knowledge about how important the food we eat and how it really does uh, affect our whole lives. So I love the fact that you addressed that in the book. And I like how you actually just went into the detail, Jerry, about um, some of the things that you're helping people with in the book or this is what are healthy foods and these are some of the things that you can avoid. And, um, and you know, and even addressing, like, in terms of, like, you know, the sugar and the caffeine, the alcohol and the drugs, too, it's also, like, the um, alkaline versus acidic diet because we eat such an acidic diet in this country, too.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And then it looks I like see. you're also mentioning, about, you were mentioning about thankfulness for your food as well. And, Bob, would you talk a little bit about that, too, because I think that, um, also, you know, from a yoga perspective, you could probably relate to that as a lot too. It's it's that conscious eating and then the thankfulness for it. Can you address that?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, so the aspect there is that uh, oftentimes we eat and do something else at the same time, such as watch TV and eat at the same time, and we we aren't consciously eating then, and we don't really taste our food and Perhaps more importantly, we don't enjoy our food. And as Jerry said, we tend to eat too fast. By eating too fast, we don't gain the maximum amount of energy from uh, nourishment and energy from the food that we eat, that we that we would if we eat, ate very slowly and chewed our food thoroughly. And by doing that, of course, we enjoy the food a lot more. So, um with my background, I've been to a lot of meditation retreats that are silent retreats, and the eating is part of the meditation where you sit at the table and you um, you feel gratitude for your food because it's keeping you alive, and you enjoy your food, and you, th- and you chew it thoroughly, and you focus completely on the act of eating. Um, so that's my orientation toward eating is all of my background as a yoga teacher and a student of meditation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I had, um I, there is a woman that I know, she was teaching like a mindfulness tea ceremony, and it was all about, and I would incorporate this into some of my restorative yoga classes, but it was being aware of like, the warmth of the tea in front of you and how it smells and how it tastes and then just every single sip is a conscious as you're talking about in meditation it's being present in that moment and um and of course when we're eating slowly right where body starts to signal us that we're getting full which is if we're eating really quickly and we're distracted we're not allowing that communication to happen between the gut and the, the brain if you will that acknowledgement and we love, and people love the flavor of food. And we love tasting. So that mindful eating just provides us with another opportunity to just really feel each of the sensations and each of the flavors, too. So there's a healthy benefit, but then there's that fun benefit of eating then, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
2: You said the right phrase, Susan, mindful eating.
1: <laughs> so it's <laughs> eating <laughs>
2: mindfully. And also, uh, you made me think of something else that I I read or heard somewhere that... It really takes about 20 minutes for us to realize how uh, filled our stomachs are after eating. So if we eat slowly, we're more aware of uh, how much food we actually need and when we're getting full without eating too much. So it can be very help- mindful eating can be very helpful as far as um, controlling your weight, for instance, with weight, uh, with weight problems.
1: So, Bob, you're awesome. I love that. That's a great segment, too, right? It's the sensing of the fullness. So how about we move into the mental part, right, the next part. Like one of the subchapters, the sections that you call, you know, when it comes to the, the mental aspect is sensing wholeness. And you talk a lot with, um, in terms of the mental thought, about listening and um, and also almost having a sense of equanimity, right? Um, and I'm wondering if you can kind of talk now to people who are looking to, to build these these steps, you know, they, um, they've got the physical, let's say they're doing some movements and then they're starting to become mindful of what they're eating and how they're eating. And now we move into that mental aspect. Can you discuss uh, a little bit more about some of the, the basics and some of the things that you found to be the most successful ways to incorporate that?
2: I, uh, are you talking about like attitudinal changes, mental attitudinal changes,
1: I think so. Yeah, like um, I know that when you're talking about freeing yourself from thought, right, it's using a very Buddhist concept, if you will, which is separating yourself from the outcome, you know, being aware of the moment as opposed to in the moment, if you will. Um, Right. You are not, yeah, so there's a sense of detachment, but a healthy detachment. It seems like that's what you guys are starting off with when you're guiding people into the next phase of, you know, finding peace now mentally.
0: So let me just... uh say something about the, um, the design of the book. You're, you're getting into it here. Um, what we did a lot was um, we talked about um, active and then passive uh, roles. So we talked about um, getting into, um, so like with uh, inner peace, we talked about our bodies in motion. Then we talked about our bodies at rest, right? And then mm-hmm. with mental peace, we talked about the yourself from thought and then involving yourself in thought. So there's a couple different, it's like kind of the opposite effects, but there are techniques that work in both types of categories. Uh, With emotional peace, we talk about making connections, and we talk about breaking connections, and you'll notice that that's kind of the the two chapters in each of our um, parts, each, each part of the book, so... Anyway, you were talking about sensing wholeness. Uh, So that's one of the ones that we're talking about involving yourself in thought. And talk about, as uh, as J. Krishnamurti said, uh, you are the world. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of the things we talk about doing here is is finding ways, and we describe some of them, to feel whole within yourself, to just feel uh, the wholeness within yourself. And also the second technique in this category is to feel part of the larger whole of the world itself. So the way we greet, we meet and greet the world in our lives uh, makes a big difference. And so th- those are a couple of techniques that we mentioned when you brought up that subsection about sensing wholeness.
2: And also the um, freeing yourself from thought, there are techniques that involve uh just simply learning how to witness your thoughts as though you're, um, you, as though you're watching clouds pass across the sky, and that, that sky is your mind's eye. And I think we use the metaphor of a television set that um, most of us don't realize that the mind, the human mind, is oftentimes can be likened to a TV set that's on all the time. And through mm-hmm. these different techniques, many of them yoga techniques, we can learn that we, we don't have to have that TV on all the time, or at least we can turn it down and, um, you know, turn to different, switch to different channels. Uh, and then by doing that, by gaining that detachment from thoughts that we, from our tyranny of thoughts, we can become better thinkers when we need to use our rational mind.
1: I love that you both actually touched on that, the, um, that there is this difference, but that um, one feeds into another. It's learning how to separate yourself and to, to be a witness of your thoughts. Um, and, uh, and, and then there's also the active part, because I think a lot of times what you see is that there, um, sometimes these extremes, which lead to unhappiness, right? It's that everyone feels like everything is happening to them, and that they're not an active participant in their life, and then you have people that wind up becoming so attached that they'll say, "Well, I'll like let's say the universe guide me to where I need to go." But you have to be an active participant in in your creation, right? Um, so yeah, I love but, that you do talk exactly about those. Yeah.
2: Well put, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you're you're well put because you're <laughs> the one that's yeah uh-huh. that, that gives people these. these these tools. Um, so can you um, like Bob, you were talking a little bit about that meditation practice. Jerry, do you have something that's um, one of your favorite uh, practices that you that you share in the book that you want to, um, to let the audience know about?
0: One of my favorite practices? Mm-hmm. Um, well one of, okay one of my ones that's kind of a, um, a simple meditative technique um, is called the stop technique um where what you do is uh our minds just continually flow right there there's something constantly moving inside our brains and this is something we can do without sitting down to do a formal meditation we can just at some point in in the, the day yell to ourselves inside ourselves stop and then st- stop everything stop all the thought Don't move. Don't move any part of your body. You're just frozen in time for a moment. And you're not even breathing for that brief moment. And the interesting thing is, even the thoughts can stop. And then when the thoughts start up again, they feel so fresh. (laughs) They feel so new. Um, So I describe how to do this stop technique in the book. And it's just it's kind of a fun. It's, It's one of those quick little techniques, but some people um, can do it throughout the day, every so often though, and there have been even people who will set a bell, that every time the bell goes off, they'll stop whatever they're doing for a moment. And it just changes your perspective. It's amazing what happens. Um, It,
2: It also brings you the realization of how racy your mind is, how much your thoughts are speeding through your mind, and how revved up you are, and how much adrenaline you might have coursing through your body, and if you just stop, you realize your energy level, and you realize if it's a positive energy or an energy that's draining you of, of health and peace of mind. Now, it's, a, it's a very insightful technique and very simple to do.
1: And I, I probably that's one of the wonderful tools that you're using also when you're dealing with change in your life, as well, right? Because that's something that you address in the book that I think is always uh, such an important um, topic for people is how to to move through change, right? And um, so do you find that that particular meditation technique or if there's another technique that really does help people um, with dealing with change in their life? I think
0: there are just so many techniques and uh, like Bob mentioned earlier about this book is kind of like a a recipe book where people can go through and pick and choose what given techniques uh, feel best for them and feel like they're going to gravitate toward and then choose those. But, yeah, here's what I believe. The more techniques you choose and work with, um, the more peaceful you're going to feel. So so it's like you could pick it up and say, I'm just going to try one or two things and, and you'll gain a little bit like that. But if you do, like, mm-hmm. five or six or seven things, you're, you'll gain more. And then if you do, you know, like eight or ten, you're going to start changing your life in a way. So is that what you're getting at? I where you are saying, hey, you can use it as a life-changing book or, me- or set of methods or just kind of pick and choose and, uh, and, get, and just add one or two things to your life. Mm-hmm. That's and then, and
1: I, yeah, and it, and I think that also too, the one thing for people is to recognize that um, one of the benefits also of what you're, you know, you talk about in your book and and everything in this conversation too, is that not every single um, option is going to work for every person. And it's kind so of like a remote, like, yeah, you have to try and you know try several times to see whether or not that fits with your lifestyle and that fits with what you what's working with you emotionally or mentally or physically. Um, before you're able to, to really um, find the one thing that for whether it's six months or ten years is really going to help create that, that foundation for you. Um, and I think and the other thing, too, is like uh, before we leave the, the category of, of, you know, achieving peace through the the mental aspect is that in terms of change, is that people, you know, human beings don't deal with change very well. And I believe very strongly that comes from our survival instincts from our ancestors, you know, change usually meant that there's the, you know, a a lion is coming to attack us. Right. And so um, change had a negative. Yeah. So that, that part of our brain, that DNA of, you know, danger, you know, change equals danger. I think that that has not kind of left us and it's in that, very primordial feeling that we apply to any change in our life. And, um, and I'm wondering, Jair, if you have, you know, in the book when you're talking about change, you know, life, life changes, what, what guidance and suggestions do you give to people? You know, is it to really incorporate the pranayama and to breathe through it? Is it to use these, you know, meditation techniques? How do you address that? One,
2: one way I address that, and that you touched upon it with just what you said, is that a lot of people are uptight and they don't have peace of mind, but they don't realize it. So to just take one technique, for instance, sitting meditation. Uh, you know, if you practice sitting meditation, you could say that the new agey concept of that, you sit, you follow your breath, and you're going to be serene and peaceful. That really isn't the case oftentimes. That might come later but with many people when they sit and try to, to follow their breath they realize right off the bat how chaotic their minds are. Their, mind, their minds are straying all over the place. They realize how um, how much they lack peace of mind and how neurotic they are. And so you have to, with meditation, it isn't necessarily a smooth road towards some goal, um, you have to first realize how much tension you have in your body, how much tension you have in your mind. And that's a tough realization for a lot of people, uh, necessary to go through that uh, in order to, to find peace of mind. And a lot of us have to do that. So the idea of, you know, you sit down and meditate and you're going to be peaceful is really not the case oftentimes. You go through a lot of changes, as you say, and oftentimes those changes can be a little intimidating or frightening, but it's good to realize uh, to open yourself up to that experience because that's actually what you're going through every day without realizing it, without realizing Mm -hmm. how much chaos is in your mind.
1: Speaking of chaos <laughs> <laughs> I love it how <laughs> I love well, how in chapter nine <laughs> oh, you you ha- I love it how in <laughs> chapter nine you actually have a section called just say no to the media and this is in your section about emotional and anything that can apply to social media as well. And um, and Jerry you're talking about, you know, again, these dynamics In each of these sections. So, in the emotional section, there is the detachment, and then there's the, you know, the reaffirming and the connecting through the positive. Um, So, can we just briefly talk about um, detaching from unhealthy things, and then how to seek and um, cultivate the things that are positive that you that you would guide people through?
0: Well, one of the uh, things we talk about, and and is to go through a media fast, to take a take a break from the media every so often. Consider how much we're inundated with different items on the news, um, and sometimes the taking it all too personally or letting it overwhelm us. Um, also, I made a study of this as well, and um, violence in the media has... I'm certain led to a lot of violence in the culture. And so we have Mm -hmm. a section here, breaking your cultural condition, which has has a lot to do with how you manage the media in your life. Um, Because the media is setting us up culturally to, I I think, make a lot more mistakes than we really uh, would if we uh, were using our best judgment uh, day by day. So in this chapter in, uh, called Breaking Connections and the Emotional. Uh, we're, that's when we are, I talk about the stop method, but also we talk about detachment, which is, I'm going to let Bob talk about that because he knows more about that, but uh, we're talking about just saying no to the media or, or not letting the media control us. So we also talk about breaking the cultural conditioning, which has a lot to do with what the media the media is like demanding from us. Um,
2: and Jerry has included in the book uh, different media tests to um, involving violence and sex and um, other aspects. So I think that that's, that's very helpful to, for people to, you know, just take stock of how they relate to um, those aspects of life, especially violence. <clears throat>
1: And how, yeah, so, and, and so to, like, you're saying, you know, to take a, a break from the media because of the, um, the level of violence that it can, you know, uh, create. I mean, I, I hear people say that, too, within, even in terms of, like, Facebook, um, how, and I've experienced this as well, um, going on and just reading, like, angry comments after angry comment, or angry posts after angry posts, and you start to feel angry. And, um, yeah. and, and it takes you time. You have to d- disconnect. And walk away. And then um, and it takes you time then to come down from that anger or frustration. And, um, and I think that, you know, taking that break and then using some of the techniques that you talk about in the book, too, is finding the perspective, you know, if you're going to engage in watching the news or to go on social media you know, it's to try to do it mindfully um, and then also trying to fill your feet sometimes with things that make you happy, whether it's like, you know, a dog just made best friends with a deer, <laughs> you know, next yeah, door. Right. Um, right. Right. <laughs> um, so you can see the joy, balance out the joy in the world as well, right? Right. That's a good um, point. Yeah. There, there's also a
2: technique, uh, well, the chapter is called letting yourself go crazy. So this <laughs> this refers back to the chaos that we have in our minds. And um, th- th- that, that aspect is different from sitting down and following your breath and, and just being quiet. Uh, it involves actually uh, saying yes to your craziness, as long as it doesn't harm other people. So you would go in a room and you could be in front of a mirror and make all kinds of crazy faces and make all kinds of crazy noises. And it's sort of a primal Technique, a primal screen technique. I, maybe a, a "screen" isn't a good word because that's just one aspect of it. Of a primal expression technique mm-hmm. to sort of cathart and release your craziness in a healthy environment by yourself, so you aren't harming other people's with your other people with your craziness.
0: That's yeah, there kind was of a, a fun yoga technique, <laughs> but that's just you know, kind of a silly one too. But sometimes you have to be silly to get some peace of mind. <laughs> People with peace of mind
2: have good sense of humor. <laughs> oh. Man.
1: Um, and then you move into talking about opening the heart, then right, and allowing love to to enter. So there is the, you know the. the the conscious, and I don't want to quite say detachment always, right? Because if you look at it as complete detachment, then we look at it as an enemy and then something that we're going to stick in the corner, which never goes away. Um, but we, I, I like it how you're talking about and letting yourself go crazy. It's acknowledgement that there's parts of us that we may not appreciate that are there and to make sure that they're released in a, in a healthy way that's safe, you know. But, um, but then also for people that a lot of times they find that are, you know, suffering from trauma, there is a the complete closure, you know, and you move from the mental into the emotion, or the, or the emotional, into like opening the heart, you know, allowing love to to enter in, um, and and having self-love. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that because I think so many of us detach, or we don't have self-love in our life.
0: Right. Uh, this is something. This is, this can get this gets a little deeper. Uh, opening the heart. Opening the heart to the world. Some people are hurt so badly that uh, it can take a while to work through this and to uh, actually begin to do it right. Um, But every time we approach it and get a little bit farther, we're improving ourselves. Um, We talk about a lot of different ways to allow love to enter our lives. Um this actually, this is the chapter called Love, and we have three sub-chapters within it that, uh, where we just kind of look at different ways to um, to open your heart to, um, to the world, to open your heart to others, um, uh, to open your heart to actually nature and the world around you. And sometimes that's the place to start, sometimes the easiest before going to other people, um, to open your heart to nature itself. Um, and then we talk about different ways to allow love to enter, which, you know, like some of the people that Bob worked with, um, you know, that had uh, been abused, um, they have some very difficult times, and a lot of us have difficult times with this. Uh, so it's kind of – it's there are ways to be gentle with ourselves and to work through a lot of these, and so we talk about some of those ways and some ways to get help uh, in this uh, area of our lives. Bob, do you have anything to add to that? Yes. Uh,
2: A lot of people have been traumatized, but um, because of their traumas, they can be, and I'm not criticizing them for this, they can be very consumed with their own problems. And what Jerry is touching upon is um, sort of coming out of yourself, even if you have these problems, being kind to people, you know. uh, And I, I think of the great spiritual leaders in our history and contemporary spiritual leaders in the world. They aren't consumed with themselves. They're very open and kind to people. And I think that by opening yourself up and being kind to people and um, living each day in, in that way where you're more outward in being kind to people and showing your love to people uh, does a lot for your own peace of mind without focusing on you, yourself and your, your own complexities and your own, your own problems.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful thing. Like my husband, you know, and I, we'll discuss a lot about. Sometimes I, I, I concern myself that he's, um, he spends so much time taking care of others, and you know, and he tells me, he reminds me that when he does something for someone else, it makes him so happy. It provides right. him with such a sense yes. of gratification. And that, you know, and um, and that's like, and that's his thing in life. It's just that if he can help someone and he, they, he doesn't have to get the thank you, he doesn't have to put a smile on their face, he just finds sheer joy and happiness, and that's his emotional balance, you know. Right. Um, that's awesome. That's and great. I, yeah. And I, I think, think that's the transitions one of the purposes then,
2: we're on the world, and we're in the world to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one of the great
0: purposes of life. Yeah.
1: And that transitions into actually this right. It, it's perfect for your last chapter because we only have a few minutes left. But it's um, that spiritual connection, and one of those ways is you have you talk about compassion, you talk about thankfulness, and um, and I'm wondering if you know the most benign sense of spirituality doesn't have to necessarily be focused on a divine being, although for many it is, and um, but for those people that are just looking even if you know to just do something something simple in their life i i think that you offer such wonderful wisdom in that section i wonder if you can talk more about again compassion and thankfulness as a spiritual path um
0: wow compassion is is buddhist <laughs> it's like the, that's one of that's the buddha's main message to the world but uh, if you want to go with almost all spiritual traditions um compassion was was the center of Christianity as well um, but compassion itself is just as a an act it's it's kind of an act with an emotion that's behind it showing your concern your love for others um, acting um, uh, out of uh, a sense of others rather than self in, in other words it's the opposite of selfish, um, giving of yourself. So what you were just describing of your husband, uh, Susan, that's, that's compassion um, for others. And it's, it has its own reward, actually. It's, um, uh, there's this old expression, helping you helps me. It's kind of like the more I offer myself to others, the better I feel inside. So that's part of a, sub, of a chapter we have on acceptance and compassion is one way that we accept others and the world.
2: And I think you can develop your compassion um, without necessarily believing there's a God. I, I just think a, a lot of this depends on one's, one person's orientation of how they want to proceed. So <clears throat> certain people are, um, more comfortable uh, believing in a God and other people aren't. But that doesn't mean that you can't practice compassion either way.
1: So true, yeah. Thank you both for being on the show. I'm so grateful for having spent almost an hour um, with you talking about all those wonderful nuggets of wisdom that you have um, cultivated in your own lives and your professional lives and have been able to to share with people through your book and, and on today's show. Um, Jerry and Bob, thank you again so much.
0: Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. Yes, thanks so much, Susan. Really appreciate it. Thank
1: you. And to all you listeners today, I hope that uh, Bob and Jerry have been able to share with you um, some ways that you can find peace of mind in your world. Have a beautiful day.